Again, uh, open the page of the scripture in your hand with me to First uh, Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. I would like to use this portion of the scripture as an opening to the second session. First Peter 4, starting from verse 19. Uh, 12, sorry, to 19. This is the word of God. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, although something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing Good. So what I would like to do uh, with the second session that uh, we will have together is to, uh, to bring uh, this uh, aspect of Christian suffering home. Uh, that's how Luther and Calvin viewed uh, suffering in the Christian life. And by God's grace, they, they live it out their Christian life by going to the scripture, by prayer, depending on the grace of God and the prayers of the saints. They live it out their Christian life for the glory of God and they pass it unto us um, a reformed faith. Praise be to God. What about you and I? What is our role? What is our duty uh, in respect to our own suffering as a church, as individual believers? So I would like to, uh, to bring the plight of the church in Eritrea, including my own experience, in relation to what Peter is addressing believers here in 1 Peter 4, 12-9. So it was May 2002, it was Wednesday afternoon around uh, 3 p.m. Um, all the church leaders in Eritrea, in the capital city, Asmara, and I was one of the leaders uh, then, we got a phone call from the, uh, the Ministry of Information, the state of Eritrea. So the office of the minister called all our offices, uh, pastors and leaders, 
And uh, we were called to a meeting uh, that the government called to all religious leaders in Eritrea. And um, this might su- surprise you. You know, you get a phone call from a government and then you would expect them to, uh, to tell you, you know, the meeting will be next week, this day, this time. But it was the meeting will be after two hours. And we want you to be uh, in, in the place where, uh, you know, we are telling you to come. So I went and others came and um, to just to tell you what we have been told by the government. It was a, a directive. It was a, a command from um, the office of the president through the minister. Uh, so the command, the instruction from the government was. Uh, for us to suspend all our religious activities in the country, especially public gathering for worship on the Lord's Day. And uh, they told us to be registered with the Department of Religious Affairs of the state of Eritrea, and until, uh, until we do that and we receive an answer from the government, then no public gathering for worship. So here, you know, Peter said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, although something strange were happening to you. Now, to tell you frankly, all the leaders around the table with the minister, we were surprised. As if a strange thing was happening to us. We were taken by a surprise. And I will tell you why. I will tell you why. Because... The, the, the men in the government, men and women in the government who told us not to gather in the sanctuary for worship were our own people. They were heroes of war for independence from Ethiopia. So all our expectation, all our understanding was this man, this woman uh, fought for our freedom. They, they achieved uh, independence for us to enjoy uh, our freedom in our own land, our own country, including uh, religious freedom. But they decided to take that um, very uh, freedom that uh, God gave us, a God-given freedom for his children. It was a very difficult day. And um, then... Uh, uh, we, we were not given an opportunity to go back to our congregations and tell our people what the government has told us to do. Uh, the minister told us, uh, this is the communication that I have from the, from the government, um, basically from the office of the president, and uh, I don't know why, you know, I don't know how you will let your people know, but you are not allowed to gather your people to tell them what the government has told you to do. So if you gather, then you will bear the consequence. You will be responsible for that. So we, we, uh, we reorganized ourselves. We divided our, our congregations into small groups. Uh, we picked uh, private homes of believers for worship, for prayer meeting, for Bible study, but the moment we were doing that, the government also learned about our intention, what we were planning to do. So they recruited informers all over the country, especially the capital city. And uh, 
within one month's time, within one month's time, they arrested 350 believers, uh, mainly leaders of the Bible-believing churches in Eritrea. But within a month, 350 believers. And then another surprise, you see, because when they took believers to prison, they, they were not only treating them very harshly, uh, by, you know, insulting them, making their time in prison difficult, but they start torturing them. So, believers got sick in prison, and we had a couple of uh, deaths of our own brothers and sisters in Christ in prison. So, come back to Peter. You know, you, you heard that, how, how all started, what happened, and um, Peter said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So our first challenge in Eritrea was, the leaders were surprised, and the sheep were surprised. All of us were surprised. As if a strange thing was happening to us. So what happened was, we, we looked to the Lord in prayer. We had to go to the throne of grace, cry to God, pray to God. So when we come to the scriptures, we, God brought us back to First Peter and James and other places in the scripture. And God, through the Spirit and through the Word, spoke to our hearts, reminding us, this is your journey as believers. These are the enemies of the gospel. And you have to suffer for the name of my son. And uh, it was not uh, a message from, you know, a direct message from heaven. But when we prayed, when we read the word, it's here. It's here. So, we um, organized um, training classes for church leaders uh, elders and deacons, and we took them through um, training um, classes and then send them to small groups, back to the small groups to prepare uh, the Christians in Eritrea to understand suffering in the light of the scripture and suffer for the cause of the gospel. And that, that was the work of God's grace, the work of God's spirit in, in the heart of leaders and members of our churches. So what happened was, um, before we addressed the whole issue in the light of the scripture, um, we had um, uh, demands from uh, members of our churches. One of the demands was, you know, we should, uh, we should uh, let the United Nations know about what, what the government is doing against us. We should uh, never pay our tax to this government. You know, all those issues came up in the Church of Jesus Christ. These people, they don't deserve our tax, so we should never pay our tax to this government. It's a wicked, evil government, and we should also expose them to the international community so that, you know, international community would know what they're doing against us. So, I, I, I would love to hear from all of you um, what you would advise to uh, people under your pastoral care 
when they tell you, because this government is wicked, because they closed our churches, uh, we will not pay our tax. Or we would rather go to the UN than just cry to God for help. What would you do as, as a pastor? So we encourage our people to uh, look to God for help, because the psalmist said, our help is in the name of the Lord who makes the heavens and the earth. And then we, we told them our responsibility, um, even though the government is wicked and what they are doing is evil against the church of Jesus Christ, still our duty is to pay our tax and uh, let God be the judge and let God hold them accountable for what they are doing against us. And that will be a good testimony of the suffering church in Eritrea. Whether they recognize that or not, it doesn't really matter. But you have to come back to the scripture and ask yourself, what would God want me to do in this situation? As painful as it was, um, people were surprised, but uh, we, we had to come back to the scripture and reorganize ourselves in that way. So, Peter said, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, verse 15, notice verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. So, that shame, I want to tell you something about that. The one objective that the authorities in Eritrea has towards believers in prison, towards believers who continue to worship God in private homes of believers in Eritrea, is to bring you to prison and then make you become ashamed of your belief in Jesus Christ. They torture you. They have a recantation uh, form or paper where they want you to sign. Uh, if you let me go home, I will stop going to any place for worship, for prayer, for Bible study. I will stop following Jesus. I will go back to the Coptic church or, you know, I... I I, I will not be interested in religion at all. I will just uh, live my, my life the way you want me to live my life in Eritrea. Making Christians ashamed of what they believe is their goal. Even here in the United States of America, I don't know how many of you talked to People read about what's going on in, in, in America. That's the goal. The goal is, you see, what I believe about Christ, what I stand for, for the gospel, is not worthy of suffering. That's what they want you to say. So, one day, um, they brought about 25 Christian prisoners from um, a prison, uh, a prison in the capital city, and they had them um, 
stands in line and they were tied up from the back of their hands. Two hands were tied up from the back and they led them to the center of the city. Asmara is not like a big city, but um, co- comparing with other African uh, cities, it's, 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 it's big. So they, they brought them to the center of the city so that everyone would see them. There were women prisoners, men prisoners, uh, young, single men, single women, older men and women, about 35 of them. So they were passing um, through the, the, the center of the city. And people were standing from, uh, on, on both sides of the street. So you have Muslims, radical Muslims in Eritrea. You have um, um, radical you know, Eastern Orthodox Church adherents. Uh, you have people from the government who really hate the church and believers. And uh, the testimony of one brother who was not in prison, but who was observing everything that was taking place on the street, was from all directions, insult was coming to our brothers and sisters in Christ. All kinds of insults. Jesus was being insulted, they were being insulted, and then they started throwing stones at them. And, and the police does nothing about it. When one of our older women asked the police, is this fair? He told her, you people deserve it. The law is not going to protect you because you transgressed the law by going to those homes for a meeting. Now let me challenge you, all of you. There was a time in my life that I believed in the Eritrean constitution. I said to myself, if things like that happen to me, the constitution will protect me. The constitution was nowhere to protect me or to protect our brothers and sisters in Christ on the street. So I'm encouraging all of you to honor and cherish your constitution, but not to worship your constitution. Only God is worthy of our worship, able to protect his people. I am very thankful to the Lord that I am in America, a land of freedom and opportunity. But listen, we, we don't know what the Lord has preserved for us in America. Because on that street, you see, no one would protect them. No one would defend them. Except insulting them. So the brother heard... When the police said to the older women, you deserve this, and uh, the brother heard other women and men on the street tied up saying to the, the military who were 
um, taking them through the street and the people who were insulting them. So the brothers and sisters on the street from prison, they started saying to the people, we are not ashamed of Christ. You know, humbly, you know, they were not insulting anyone, but they were, they, they told the people, we are not ashamed of Christ. You see, you see, that's exactly what Peter said. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So in Eritrea, you see, you see people suffering to a great extent, but at the same time you see the grace of God and the Spirit of God working in the heart and in the mind of those believers to say we are not ashamed of Christ in the midst of their suffering. And the brother testified to us, he's still back home, the brother, he was writing everything. Uh, the day, the time, what they said, and the brothers said to us, uh, two soldiers started talking to one another, and the one said to the other one, did you hear that? And he said, yeah, yeah, I heard them. And then the guy said to him, it must be true. What they believe is true. No one would suffer this way if it's not true. And that's what Peter meant. You see, Peter said, but let him glorify God in that name. On, on the streets, in the midst of insult and shame, according to the world, was the glory of God. The glorification of the name of Christ. I'm not ashamed of this name. Then, in um, verse 19, Peter said, therefore, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. While doing good. So, before um, the closure of our churches, especially in our case, we had, some of you know, we have a Bible school, we have two OP missionaries teaching in the Bible school, uh, we have a church in three places, Asmara, Ginda, where the, uh, the mission clinic was, and then Adikei, where the church plant was. Uh, so the church was very active in Eritrea, the church that was planted by the OPC, and, and I was a pastor, we had other uh, deacons and elders in the church that, who were trained by OPC missionaries in Eritrea. And uh, so we still had the Bible school and then they first um, closed other churches and our church, they suspended public gathering for worship and then they, they left the Bible school. So the Bible school was functioning for a little while. So we had an opportunity uh, to have uh, people from the other churches worship with us in the Bible school for about a year. 
And, and most of them were Pentecostal pastors, Pentecostal believers. They were in, in the Bible school, taking theological courses. Uh, they, they, they would come to a Bible study, a worship. So we had this uh, unique opportunity, you know, to, to teach the Reformed faith to all these men, uh, Pentecostal pastors and preachers, uh, whose hero at that time was Benin. Who just repented last week. He was their hero. So they first say Benin and then they say Jesus. You know? First Benin. And then Jesus. So they, they, these were men who were coming to our worship and the theological college. Um, so one Sunday while we were worshiping. The security office sent an informer. That's what they do. You know, they, they, they identify the place and then they send an informer. So they come as worshipers, they sit with you and uh, because, you know, church were closed, then um, any, anyone can come and worship with you. You can't really tell who, who was, you know, he. Uh, who was he. So, this Young man came, an informer. He sat at the, at the back. I was preaching. And uh, I can tell, you know, who is in worship. Even from the other churches, because I was the chairman of the Evangelical Alliances in Eritrea. I, I, know, I know many of them. So, this, this young man was new for me. And uh, everyone was singing. Everyone, when I say, you know, First Peter, they turn to First Peter. When I say him to 157, they turn to 57. He does nothing. He just look, looks around, uh, counting how many people are in worship, how many foreigners, you know, things like that. So I say to myself, you know, something is going on here. But um, we didn't change anything. We had, you know, our order of worship. So, during pastoral prayer, I prayed for, for the president, I prayed for the ministers, uh, I prayed for God's blessing to be upon them, uh, things like that. And um, when I was greeting people after the worship service, I greeted him, I asked him where he came from. He was not willing to tell me where he came from. He, he just told him, you know, I heard about your church, I just, you know, decided to attend, I'll come next Sunday. Or I'll come, you know, in midweek to talk to you about religion. I'm interested in religion. Um, so he leaves. And um, then the whole church got arrested after two weeks. And when they took us to prison, then we met this young man in prison after three weeks. One of my elders came to me. They put us in two rooms, and one of the elders, Mikas, came to me, and he said, you remember this young man who came to our worship, and we talked about him, we were not sure who he was? He's here. So I went to the other room, by the permission of the, one of the guards, and I met with him. So we sat with him, we started talking to him. So he went to his superior, and he reported Everything he observed, everything he experienced. And he told his superior, why are we after these people? Because they were praying for us. 
They prayed for the president. They prayed for the ministers. You know what his superior did? He sent him to prison. For bringing a report that he never wanted to hear. So we met him in prison. And we shared the gospel with him. And he believed in Christ. And he became part of the church of Jesus Christ. Now Peter said. Suffer while you are doing well. But the story that I want to share with all of you. Briefly. And then I want to relate it to. The exhortation of Peter here. Is about two young Single women, strong believers. They were attending a worship um, meeting, and uh, the house was reported, and they all were taken to prison. So these two young women were taken to a very remote place in Eritrea. We call it Asab. It's a port, but it's a very, very remote place. And uh, they were placed in a metal shipping container for three years. And um, they, they tortured them. They required them to deny their faith. They said no. Um, so they faced all kinds of mistreatment in that metal shipping container. Three years. And their captor was one... And the man who were torturing them was one, he was a, a colonel in the military. Uh, so for three years, this man was uh, the one who, who beats them, the one who interrogates them. Um, you know, these two women would tell you, like, uh, um, early in the morning, they uh, bring them outside, um, they, uh, they tie them up. Uh, you know, they, they call it a helicopter, helicopter style uh, military punishment. Uh, when people see you, you look like a helicopter when they tie you up. And then um, it's morning, so they pour um, extremely cold water on you. And as they do that, they ask you, are you ready to sign that document and go home? Deny Jesus. Pledge to the government. You will never attend any Christian meeting ever again. Are you ready? Are you ready? So for three years, these two um, brave women said no. Then after three years, God intervened and they got released. So after they came home, after maybe two, three weeks, they were uh, downtown to meet with other Christian women who had been in prison. So the woman who met them told them, um, you know what we heard? We heard uh, our captor in Asab is here. And he's dying from AIDS. And he's in uh, Makanehiwa Hospital. He's dying. So they told them that he was uh, uh, in a very critical condition. He was dying from AIDS. So these two women heard the news. Now listen, he tortured them for three years. He had no mercy on them. No mercy. He hated them. He did everything in his power to crush them. 
so that they will they would never follow Jesus. Now put your place, put yourself in their shoe. And someone comes to you, remember so and so who tortured you for three years, he's dying from AIDS. What would he say? Probably some of us would say, Good. Good. So these two women went to one of the stores and bought some fruit and went to the hospital to visit him. And he could hardly speak when they arrived to the hospital. He could hardly speak. His wife was with him. His two children, young children were there. So when they were coming to the room, he can see them. You know, he was laying on his bed. He can see them coming. But he couldn't speak. So when they approached him, he told his wife, that's how he was communicating with his family at that, at that time, he told his wife to give him a, a piece of paper and a pen that she was giving him for communication. So he wrote to this woman, I remember you, but why are you here? Question mark. I remember you, why are you here? So they replied, we are here to visit you. I don't think I deserve your visit. Why are you here? Replied. And they say, we are here because of Christ. Because Christ told us to do good to those who hurt us. To love them. And do good to them. So he starts crying. And like two, three times, he said, no, I don't deserve your visit. I don't deserve your visit. And then they, they finally wrote to him saying, we forgave you a long time ago. We are not here to make your life harder than already you are, but we are here to express to you the love of Christ. This is who we are. So he wrote to his wife, my brothers and sisters in Christ, he wrote to his wife, saying, and I, I have the writing in Tigrinya, because I, I shepherded his wife and children for about six months before I left the Eritrea. So I brought the note with me. And this is what he wrote to his wife. I want you to make these two women your friend and the friend of my children. Whatever they tell you to do, do it. Listen to them and do it. So he gave the paper and while his wife and these two women was reading the the words that he wrote to them, he was gone. When they looked at him, he was gone.
Now, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You see, you don't just suffer for the cause of the gospel, but you also do good to those who persecute you. So that they would see the love of Christ. Now let, let, me, let me challenge all of us, you see. If these two women would not go to prison, if they would not stay in a metal shipping container for three years, if they would not say no for the recantation of faith, if they wouldn't come to the hospital to visit this man and show him the love of Christ, his wife and children will never be converted. We don't know about him. But his wife and his children embraced the gospel because I, I shepherded them. I know them. But he said, God sent these two young women, precious children of God, to a metal shipping container so that the wife of this man and his children would come to faith. That's what it means to pay the cost of your discipleship to Christ. So before I open our time for Q&A, I always ask believers in America, including myself, this simple question. And you can be honest with me. You see, I, I, I spoke in, in a youth camp in... Uh, San Antonio recently and I shared this testimony of these two women with these young people from the, the whole presbytery about 500 or 600 young men and women and I asked them are you ready for this? and the response was without the help of God we are not ready young men and women they were very honest you can be honest. We can pray together. But the simple question is, are you ready? Here in America, are you ready? You know, sometimes uh, our classmate insults our faith. Our boss insults what we believe. And, um, and we feel terribly bad about it. And we come home or... We come back to church, to our pastor, elders, and we tell them, well, I have been persecuted this week. Now, I hope once you hear this, you will not even consider that persecution. It's just insult. They insulted Jesus. His enemies insulted him. And James tells us, count it joy. Count it joy. They insulted him. So if they insult you because of him, you are joining him and his suffering. So rejoice. Don't, don't feel bad about it. Rejoice. Rejoice. Because the student is not better than his master. You join him in his suffering. Even in a small way. 
in a small manner, you join Jesus in his suffering. So are you ready, is the question. If you are not ready, start praying about it. Start reading books, reading the scripture. Talking to people who have been in that experience. And I would be very happy to help you anytime with that by God's grace. So, any question? I purposely, you know, made it short so that I would give you enough time for Q&A, if, if, you, if you call that short. Yes. Yes, so they continue um, meeting for worship on the Lord's Day, morning and evening, in small groups. We have two brothers whom we trained to exhort uh, the people. So I still send uh, my sermons back home, uh, especially when we find um, a reliable person who flies to Eritrea for family visit. You know, we try to provide them with written sermons. Uh, very faithful uh, men who are very happy with their work. But, uh, you know, brothers and sisters meet for worship on Sunday and then Wednesday prayer meeting and Bible study um, under the cloud of persecution and, um, you know, a possibility of going to prison. Uh, we really appreciate uh, their courage. So they continue to persevere. You know, uh, if you are in a private home for worship, for Bible study, um, you don't sing. Because if you sing, you will draw the attention of informers. One of my, I think, painful experiences in Eritrea as a pastor was people always want to sing. And I tell them, but if you are seeing, you will go to prison. Are you ready for that? And uh, there, was, there was a time that uh, almost the whole group said to me, yes, we are ready, let's sing. I said, okay, let's sing. So we sang. We didn't go to prison. God preserved us. Uh, but, uh, you know, every time Christians sing, um, like 99% you end up going to prison because the neighbor will uh, hear and they will call and they will inform, especially if they, they don't like uh, Bible-believing churches, then they, they uh, call the security. Yeah, pray for them. Point. So, so I, w- I was in prison five times. Uh, the, the fifth time was uh, six months and a half. Uh, the, the other four was less than one month. And it depends, you know, sometimes sometime in a metal shipping container, sometimes in a, a you know, prison cell, military camp, you know. Almost, uh, you know, every corner in Eritrea is a prison. It's full of prisons. 
Yeah. Any other question? Yes, brother. So, um, one is, you know, it could, be, it could be two reasons. One is merely divine intervention. And they just let it go. Um, and the other reason is, especially if you are a leader, key leader, they want to follow you. Uh, where you go, with whom you meet, who are your members, um, which houses are, you know, your meeting places, things like that. So they can let you go to, um, to supervise your activity. Uh, they, have done, they have done that with me two times. And, and we knew what was going on. So I was, um, I just limited my activities. Um, but others, you know, they have been followed. And they lead them to the house where they gather and, you know, it got worse. So, for two reasons. But one of them is just divine intervention. As I said earlier, the Lord says, enough. You know. Any other question? Yes. So, um, what happened was, as I mentioned it to you all, I was the chairman of the <clears throat> Evangelical Alliances in Eritrea. So, in addition to my pastoral duty to the local church, I was uh, ministering and helping the families of uh, Christian prisoners in Eritrea. So, with the help of the OPC Foreign Mission Office, uh, and other PCA churches uh, with whom we had contact, we would uh, take um, funds to these families who suffer, you know, from lack of food and provision. Uh, we read the scripture, pray for them and with them. So we were doing all these things um, secretly. And then... I don't know how many of you are familiar with that, but uh, when the WikiLeaks um, stole the cable of the American embassy, um, the guy was not selective with the information that he released to the whole world. And um, my name and the names of many religious leaders in Eritrea was uh, on the information that he released. So everything that we were doing secretly to these suffering Christians in Eritrea was exposed. And uh, my church, especially the church, the elders, uh, and then Mark Bube and others, um, they advised me to consider leaving the country. Because if they take me to prison... Um, based on the information that they got from the WikiLeaks, um, it was obvious that, you know, it could be execution. It's treason. Um, anything which has to do with the American government uh, is treason. 
but uh, the only thing that we did was, you know, we were visiting uh, the families of prisoners, we were helping them, we were praying for them, but because, you know, what we were doing appeared on the cable, then it's, you know, it's treason. So, um, so we, I prayed about it, I thought about it, I consulted with my wife and my family, and especially the church people, and the best thing for all of us was for me to leave. Yeah. So that's what happened. No, no. I, I just um, left um, by myself. I, I left my wife and my children behind. Um, so after I left, they stayed in the country because they were being followed. Um, the activity was monitored by the government, so we couldn't get them out of the country. So after I left, I think they stayed um, in Eritrea for about a year and a half, and then we were able to get them out, and then we brought them to Kenya, and then they stayed in Kenya for about two years. Yeah, so we have been separated for, for a long time. But now they are here. Thank you for your prayers. Yeah. Okay. Boys? Okay. Okay, let's pray. Okay.